What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Dave Stovall, your host. I'm glad you're going to be joining me today. Today's episode is the second track session given to us by Exponential at last year's National Disciple Making Forum. The speaker is Grant Sheldon, and he said some amazing things during this TED-style talk. It's all about reaching the next generation. Grant opened up the session for questions from the audience, and they get really specific about how to get through to millennials and also to Gen Z. There's awesome stuff here. If you missed Exponential's first track session, please skip back to the previous episode because Myron Pierce gave some amazing stuff in his message as well. So make sure you skip back and listen to that. All right, y'all, let's jump in and hear from Grant Skeldon. This is Exponential at last year's forum. Here we go. Hey, as you guys are coming in, um, would you guys mind? I got a couple questions. It'll help me with this message more. Um, one, how many of y'all have, have any of y'all ever heard me speak before? Two? Okay. Non person? Okay. No, that's good. Uh, so, well, because me and Myron tomorrow are going to get to speak back to back. And I think uh, there's a message we have prepared for that, but then we don't want to do that message here because we only have one message. It's good. Um, and so. <laughs> But I don't. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I'm trying to get the, the, the you know, I think it's only 18 minutes, so I'm, I'm getting the, wouldn't they give us 30 minutes, the 12 that's left over? Uh, well, I guess, that, yeah, that's bad math. Um, anyway, I, uh, the second question was um, Are you guys coming in like as parents? So you come in as mostly, I would assume, as pastors, but I'm just curious how many of you guys have kids in their uh, 20s or early 30s? Okay, okay, so, uh, so I would assume anytime you're listening about next-gen stuff, you also are attentive as parents, because I'm going to probably talk, speak to that quite a bit, too. Um, just if I could hear maybe two or three questions when you're coming in, there's so many different angles on next-gen. You're like, hey, if I could leave this breakout knowing something about the next-gen, this is the thing I'm curious about, I'm trying to figure out. Um, and actually, one last question before that is, if you guys could raise your hand more, you're like, I'm really thinking about Gen Z, or I'm thinking about millennials, I feel like... That's really changed over time. So if you're like, I'm more concerned with Gen Z, could you raise your hand? All right, and then maybe more millennial, uh, if you would raise your hand. Because some, some of you guys are in places where you're like, we have maybe more young marrieds or young singles that are like millennial age, not as much Gen Z. Okay, so that being said, help me out with like two or three things, two or three people wouldn't mind saying, hey, I wanna figure this out about the next generation. I'll also preface it and say, I'm young-ish these days, I feel like. Um, I do not care about y'all making fun of young people or asking hard questions or saying, hey, if we're honest, why are they this way? Or I'm starting to feel like I'm getting old myself because even I'm starting to say old people things. Um, <laughs> like when I'm talking to some young 21-year-old, I'm like, dude, back when I was that age, and I'm like, dang, that's what old people say. <laughs> it's, it's like, man, back when I was your age. And so... Uh, all I have to say is I think I want us to have not a like a toxic conversation, but I think uh, you don't have to like walk on eggshells around. It's not going to hurt my feelings to have a real raw conversation around some of the hardships of reaching the next generation. Um, and just want to encourage you. I'm always encouraged by how many of even this breakout being like packed that you guys have a sincere heart for young people. And so I'd love to hear just real quick. What are some of those questions? Yes, ma'am. As a discipleship leader, um, 
getting girls who have signed up and want to be disciples to actually show up consistently. Yeah. That's one of my prayers. Okay. Consistency. Yeah, we're kind of here. She's a children's minister. I'm the youth minister. We're trying to figure out what we can do together yeah. to, uh, to be a team. Yeah. Send out these youth. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Put down the phone and build genuine connections. Yeah. So I'm going to repeat this. So, uh, put down how to put down the phone and build genuine connection. Um, you said uh, how to get young girls to be more consistent. Because young guys, they're pretty good, but young girls, just not consistent. Um, and then you guys are talking about being a better team, uh, or just how can we work as a team to better uh, engage next gen? Ma'am, I saw you in the back. Yeah. What do you think Gen Z is thirsting for the most? We'll do one more, two more. We'll do two. Yes, ma'am. Winning them back. How to win them back? That's good. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, we're dealing with kind of the multicultural piece that our community has changed racially. So yeah. We're trying to build multiculturally, and then the second for us is we're more traditional denominational church, mm -hmm. and you know it's. I don't know. It's different than the warehouse churches. <laughs> warehouse churches. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm gonna. Uh, I will. I'll do Q and A. I'll say even before I speak. You guys can raise your hand at almost any point in my message. It's not going to throw me off. Uh, it'll throw me on. And uh, we can do Q&A during speaking. Uh, what I don't mean is like, I'm going to answer it right away. But if you raise your hand, I'm like, I'll probably acknowledge it. And then I'll come back in like 10 seconds. We can do Q&A during it. I even would encourage you to do Q&A in church because I just feel like church at this point is a lot of lecture. And there's not a lot of conversation. And when we don't have more conversation in church, uh, we let our young people especially have those conversations in the world and in probably the most healthy place they could have it in the world outside of the church where they end up having a, these very difficult conversations is a place called facebook and instagram and there's a lot of opinions that have been changed through facebook conversations um, i'm sure somewhere i personally haven't met the person who said i strongly used to believe this but after a pretty healthy dialogue on Facebook, uh, now I'm, I landed over here. Uh, I just haven't seen that. So I, I think of Paul and they just, it seemed like when he went into, just church just seemed more like dialogue-ish. Even if you think about most of the content we have from Christ isn't from sermons. It's from questions being answered. He got asked 300 questions in the New Testament. And so uh, all I have to say, we can do q and I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. God, thank you again for these leaders that are have just yeah they have a heart they have a burden uh, they see the mission field when it comes to the next generation in their city uh, and I pray that you would give uh, favor to each one of these leaders I pray that like you said in Luke 10 that uh, would you raise up more laborers to come alongside of them in their city that just have this I'm done with this generation falling away from the Lord falling away from the church uh, struggling with anxiety depression suicidal thoughts um, that there's just this angst and burden in uh, you say that there is so much work to do. So God, would you raise up more laborers um, that aren't just having angst and anger uh, with the problem, but man, joyfully, uh, hopefully, faithfully want to be a part of the solution, God. Um, Jesus, now I pray. Amen.
Um, so I want to talk a lot about uh, something I just don't think is going to address too much here when it comes to next gen that I think is a big problem with uh, kind of like the system of developing young people into like, I don't know about y'all, but how many of y'all feel like you're, you're seeing a lot of young people graduate college and then they get out of college and they don't do anything remotely close to what they went to college for? Um, and that's becoming a, like a real struggle with the next generation right now. And I'm trying to think, I'm gonna talk a lot about very practical discipleship in the church and in uh, the home maybe a little bit more, but this one is kind of like if you have young college kids and or young singles, uh, something I think that could really help these guys. Um, and but even before I go into that, I just wanna kind of uh, zone in to see what is it like to be a young Christian today? What it, uh, when they say, I'm a Christian, what does that look like when they say it compared to what it looked like in early 2000s, 90s, 80s, 70s? Um, here is, you guys remember this old school website called Yahoo? Uh, <laughs> I used to dig it because it like, showed me the news. It was like always four stories. Um, this is what happens when you look up uh, why are Christians so on Yahoo? Uh, this is the most popular answers to the question, why are Christians so and people are asking, apparently, why are Christians so stupid, judgmental, hateful, mean, intolerant, judgmental, self-righteous, unhappy, and annoying? And again, this is not um, them trying to get at us because they don't like us. This is the most popular searches of people sincerely trying to figure out the question of why are we this? Um, and again, why this matters is when a young person decides to be a Christian, and when I think that wakes up the most is in college. like. Seven out of ten, at least, I remember millennials were dropping out of church once they went to college, and they have to like really live the faith and discover is this your faith? Uh, next one, I put in some other letters. Like, there's got to be some good words somewhere. So I put an M, and it said, "Why are Christians so mean, miserable, mean to non-Christians, mean to each other, and mean-spirited?" Then A, why are they so annoying, arrogant, afraid of Muslims, angry against yoga, um, <laughs> awful? Afraid to die, which is kind of crazy. They're afraid to die. Uh, why are Christians against evolution? Why are they afraid of dying again? Uh, I did find a good word. It was uh, L. Why are they so loving and, and lukewarm, apparently? Um, <laughs> and so I often say, you know, for the next generation, it's so crucial that we disciple these young guys because seven out of 10 young people aren't going to church once they enter college. And these young people that don't go to church, like they don't read the Bible. They, they read Christians. And the Christians they're reading for whatever reason are not, they don't look good. And the sad part is I think all of us, maybe we've seen elements of these like words that were put up here, which are again, sincere searches, but that's not generally the church that any of us go to. But the loudest people, the most bold people are representing this message to the rest of the next generation. And I want to really try to help us disciple young people um, while they're in college, while they're outside of college, in their young single years to just be really bold for Christ and have a different type of message. If, if they're not reading uh, the Bible and they're instead reading Christians, then how do we train up Christ-loving, city-changing, church-investing, disciple-making missionaries in the next generation? And so here's, I think, the problem with kind of what I would call the American dream. Um, I'll come back to that. Uh, Actually, I'll do this real quick. And uh, why I also think that 
we got to focus on, especially I like to focus on young singles. Um, and again, some of you guys are like, well, I'm more in the youth ministry or I'm more college ministry. And, and there's so many different people that could speak on so many different groups like youth. But for me, I, I have found there's more hunger when they're a young single, even ideally outside of college sometimes, because I just spoke at a, a chapel in Oklahoma and I was like, man, when I speak to students, they just don't have always like this hunger because college sometimes it's just like this experience it's not even a training ground anymore and they don't have this like i'm hungry to learn as much um while once you get out of college it's like oh crap like what's next um and that's when i've noticed this shift of like i want to learn i want to grow especially in their career and in their job or in their cause and i'm trying to find what i'm trying to find like you when you talk about like how do i basically find hungry serious young people um I'll get into this, but I, I don't think we've done the best job of, I want to say forcing, but even allowing hunger to come up in them because we often save young people from ever having to be hungry. Like, um, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. So here's why, again, young singles, why it's important. So next week, I will celebrate my one year anniversary of being married, um, which is awesome. But how, how don't, I usually get praise for that, but not. I mean, they're like, oh, I've been there, done that one year. Like, <laughs> we don't even know if you're going to make this. It's like, it's not a big deal. Hey, for, for young people, this is a long time. <laughs> okay. So, but it's a good thing. But y'all, honestly, I love young singles. And if I was preaching to young singles, I'd say, y'all, you have this one time in your life where you'll never get back. And the enemy will say, use college and use your young single years as the time to just find out who you are. Just have fun. Maybe it is drinking, maybe it is, uh, maybe it is sex, maybe it is like, just that's the time to have a lot of fun. And I think we all know that window of time sets up the trajectory for the rest of your life. Um, and I would say, you know, there's this window where you don't have to ask your parents for permission. You can, you have a little bit of money, you have a car and you don't have to ask for permission. You can just go and do things, but you don't yet have to ask your wife for permission either. And you can just kind of go and you can kind of do uh, when I got married, they call marriage golden handcuffs. Um, gosh, I feel like y'all don't like this. This is a reality. Um, they golden handcuffs, so we're good. But you know, if I want to go tonight, actually, actually, me and Myron are trying to see Eternals, which is a Marvel movie. And I had to ask my wife. I told him actually, hey, I'd love to go see Eternals. You want to go see it? Are you into Marvel? And then I said, let's do it. And then I. I'm like, oh, but let me go talk to my wife first, though. I used to not have to do that. I used to just get to go do things. Um, and here's why this matters of them having time, is the number one reason I hear why older people don't disciple, and I know older people, no one likes being called older. The number one reason why chronologically superior people <laughs> don't disciple is because, I, I'm serious, I, all over the nation I hear this, is they just don't have time. They don't, it's not that they don't want to, it's not that they don't value it, it's that the average person in the congregation, or I'll just say, anyone who I've found who's married, has kids, and has a full-time job, they don't have time. Like, they're not thinking this weekend, what am I going to do <laughs> with all my free time? They don't have it. And so, what I, I notice is, the older generation doesn't have time, but they do have wisdom. The younger generation doesn't have wisdom, but they do have a lot of time. How do we make sure that they don't waste all that time? but they could gain the wisdom of a generation before. And I think that's where the enemy is so slick is he could get a generation that would say things that's older and has experience. And even if their wisdom comes from hitting a wall and learning the hard way, they would say, man, if I could go back to that age, 
how I would do it differently. They have that wisdom. And then you got a younger generation that's passionate, wants to change the world, like wants to do all these great things, but they're like Lord of the Flies, just hanging out with each other. They, they're like seventh graders asking other seventh graders for dating advice. They don't have older friends or older mentors, and they're, most of the friends to their left and their right are just wasting this time. And the enemy's like, man, I think of that, that quote, that verse, make the best use of your time for the days are evil. Or, or David says, teach me to number my days so I can gain a part of wisdom. Both of them talk about wisdom and time. And so I, my hope is what if we can use that window where they truly see it as a gift of singleness instead of even Christian young adults who are single will be like, I just can't wait to get married. They almost feel like they got to get married before they find their mission. And my hope is what if we could help them find their mission and that then will lead to marriage or sometimes it's at the same time. But a lot of young people are like, excluding Christians, or maybe even sometimes especially Christians, have this anxiousness that can sometimes lead eventually to depression where they're like, I just don't know what I'm called to do. I don't, I, I'm trying to figure that out. And so here's where I think some of the problem comes from is I'm just going to kind of break down the American dream. In Right now, the American dream is kind of you historically, the last, let's say, 40 or 50 years was you go to college, you get a job, you get married and join a church. Um, then eventually you would, uh, if you stayed faithful to those things, your job, marriage and church, you accomplish the American dream. Um, you stay faithful to those things for a long period of time. The, the hard part is, uh, or actually before I even go into this, any of you guys familiar with the, the book called Halftime? Okay, Halftime is the concept, it's by a guy named Bob Buford, very big in the marketplace community. Um, it's probably one of the biggest Christian books in the marketplace community, I feel like, over the last 20 years. Like, got to make a top 10 list, at least. Is the concept that you got the American dream, and it's these a lot of marketplace leaders that got the house they always dreamed of, they got the f- family, they got even maybe the second home, the boat, all that, but when in the huge job, promotion, all that. But then they get to the end of the road, and they're like, man, is this it? And they sacrifice so much to get there. Um, and we're seeing a lot of boomers kind of do this, and some now Xers, where it's like they worked hard, they focused, they stayed at the same job, and then even my parents kind of do this. Then they like have this awakening where it's like, was it even worth it? My parents like sold their house and just bought an RV. I'm like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> you would have hated if I did that. Um, but you did all parent, and there's like this, and you got a generation seeing them go from. Uh, and, and a lot of this mindset was driven by provision. Get a job or go to college and get a job that makes a lot of money, that does well. Um, and then you could accomplish the American dream. And provision isn't bad, like, to think about that. It's I want to provide a better life for my kids than what I got. Um, you can, we can make it like, oh, it's greed. But nine times out of ten, I found most, especially even Christians, it's not about, like, I want to have a big barn. It's more I just want to provide a better life for my kids than what I got. Uh, but they, our generation, the millennials and Gen Z have seen this and then seeing it lead to this idea of not success, but this shift towards significance. And that's what halftime was, was this idea of, is this it? And they, they leverage the rest of their life, not thinking about provision or money as much as they think about passion and purpose. Um, you guys, I'm sure know people like this that have this, like, they call it like a midlife crisis in a lot of ways. Um, where they go there. And I think that's great. In fact, I think a lot of boomers that are in that season are connecting well with young people that are 
pursuing their passion and their purpose. And so you might be like, okay, man, what does this matter and how does it do with discipleship? Um, here's why I think this matters. Uh, one, this system doesn't work for young people anymore. Let's just say college. Uh, how is that not, the, I would just, I think we all agree, college does not provide the same thing that it used to for a young person and it doesn't set them apart like it did 30 years ago, right? Everyone would agree with that? Um, in fact, I would say that college has a better guarantee of putting American youth into debt than getting them a job. And that's not like the best guarantee. Um, second, we talk about uh, jobs. Uh, I, it, this, you guys are not gonna like this. This is probably the thing that bothers me about NextGen a lot too. The average, I remember millennial at least, was on the trajectory to have 14 jobs by the age of 40 years old. So that's a lot of job hopping every two to three years. Um, and there's a lot of older leaders that are like, that just bothers me so much. I stayed at two or three jobs my entire life. And again, got really far in the American dream where you got a young generation always switching their ladders, which I don't agree with that, but that is what's happening where they're switching, switching, switching. Um, but, and they always get asked, why is the younger generation not loyal to their companies like we used to be? And I would ask, do you feel like companies are loyal to their employees like they used to be? So that system has changed for them as well. Why this matters is like we are pushing this, this onto young people and they're like, I guess I got to do it because my parents are saying I got to do it. The church is kind of for it. everyone. It seems like this is the plan. Uh, and then marriage and church, uh, probably the last 20 years is the generation raised in some of the most divorced families ever um, and seeing, man, why are they waiting longer to get married? I want to clarify this. I'm not saying, oh, this is wrong, and then young people are figuring out the right way. I'm just saying this is what they're seeing, and they're swinging the pendulum over here, in my opinion. And then church, um, they have to really take on a, a P, there's a PR problem when they take on saying, I'm a Christian. It's basically saying, unfortunately, to the world, I'm judgmental, and I'm a bigot, or I'm anti-homophobic, or I'm all these different things. Um, and there's been a lot of scandal, a lot of falling leaders lately that makes it hard. Um, why does this matter and what can we do in discipling them in this very pivotal season? When I see this success to significance shift at the end of uh, a generation's life, when I saw that concept, I'm like, man, what's so interesting is I think a lot of young people are having that same mindset. They're just not doing it, nor do they want to do it at the end of their life. They're doing it like right now, before they even go to college. Um, they are thinking about passion and purpose before choosing their major. And I don't know if y'all see this where a lot of young people are like, I don't even know, they have, I don't, I think it's more difficult for them to figure out what they wanna do. They just know they wanna do something significant. And um, I know it's hard to disciple a group where you're like, well, how do you not know what you wanna do? This is so important. But if we don't acknowledge this, what can happen is, uh, have you guys ever seen Dead Poet Society? Dead Poet Society is definitely that provision mindset. Um, and that, that mindset comes to conflict with the kid in that movie where he's got more of this passion and purpose mindset where he's like, I wanna be a th in theater arts. And his dad's like, son, I've, done, I've worked too hard and my wife, you, your mom and I have worked way too hard basically to get you into this school so that you can go to Ivy League school for you to, you cannot do theater arts, get, get out of that class and get out of, uh, I think he was doing um, the yearbook. So he just says, don't do it. You cannot do it. I'm cutting it. I work too hard to get you there. 
but he then has to do what I think a lot of young people are doing today is he either has to kind of sell his soul and say, okay, I'll just do this because it makes good money. And this is apparently what you got to do. Or I go behind my parents back in order to pursue my passion. And I think a lot of the next generation is doing this and they're not getting the discipleship of the older generation because they're saying, I, if I want to pursue my passion, I can't really do it with my parents because they uh, don't really dig that as much. And here, let me just point this out because you might be like, I don't agree. Here's what I found a lot. Where it's like, I don't, we, don't do the, we don't do the provision mindset in the church. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this happen. So there will be, if, let's just say the general American church. If you have a young person in that church, the general American church, who says, Mom, Dad, I, I feel like God showed me my calling. I feel like God's calling me to be a lawyer. The average American Christian parent is going to be like, Oh my God, honey, we love that. Like, how can we help you do that? Uh, Mom, dad, I feel like God's really calling me to be an architect. I want to do that. Like, I feel like, how can I learn how to do that? Is there a good school to go to for that? Son, we love that. Absolutely. That's incredible. Um, Dad, I I want to be a doctor. We feel like God wants you to be a doctor too. Like, let's do that. How do we help you do that? Like, absolutely. But no, they go to passion conference or they go to some big conference like this. It's like, mom, dad, especially, let's even make it worse. They're in school to be a doctor, three years in. Nice school. Mom, dad, I feel like God's calling me to be a missionary and take what I'm doing as a doctor, but do it overseas. The average American Christian parent is going to be like, hey, we love that. But let's pray about that. And let's just make sure that that's let's just pray about it okay and i'm always like mom dad like so you think satan might be calling me to be a missionary (laughs) to another country i okay it was like mom dad i feel called to be a church planner and i i know i was going to be a lawyer but i man i went to this conference and i feel like i want to plan a church son we man we love how you're growing your relationship with god um but Let's pray about that. Let's take that slow. Don't make any rash decisions. It's a whole different thing. Like we don't have to pray about if God wants us to be rich and a Christian. But man, we got to pray about if we got to go do hard things for Christ. Um, There's a, I remember one father kind of hearing this and he, uh, well, actually he didn't hear this. He just said this. He's like, one of the worst things happened. And he said it jokingly, but he also was saying it's a half truth. He said, my daughter loves God so much that she wants to be a missionary. And he's a businessman. And I just think this American dream and a generation that wants to go change the world and then a church that sometimes church culture, even parenting culture and discipleship culture, that's like those are conflicting right now. And a lot of young people, I think one of the best things, silver lining of the next generation is that the next generation doesn't want church to just be mostly an event. They want to go bring the gospel into the world. And I, gotta, I always ask this question, how is the most cause-oriented generation in the world right now that's dying to be a part of a cause, like maybe t- unhealthy level of wanting to be a part of a cause, how is the most cause-oriented generation in the world right now not connecting to the most cause-oriented organization in the world right now? Like literally the, the, the organization that for 2,000 years is the movement that has lasted and actually changed eternities, but also shifted culture like hospitals, colleges, like Oh, so orphanages. Yeah, like George Mueller. Like these guys have created so many things out of the Christian faith and 
How could the next generation be like, ah, oh, they're not doing anything really. I'm going to go join this cause that has nothing to do with the gospel. And I think this culture is conflicting right now. Do you guys see that at all? Am I like, so I think they're not having a midlife crisis. Instead, they're having this quarter life crisis. And we got to figure out how do we help them get discipled. And, and, and also, um, if we don't, uh, this was actually a quote by, if you know who John R. Mott is, he uh, would mobilize like hundreds and thousands of college students to go and do missions uh, back in the 1800s, actually won a Nobel Peace Prize for the work that he was doing. Uh, he has this quote where he said that the number one obstacle to world evangelization is Christian parents. That's what he said. Because he found that he would get these kids on fire for Christ that wanted to go and give everything for Christ. Even when it meant going to the hard places, even if it meant being a lamb among wolves or it meant be being a light in dark places. The only problem was the Christian parents didn't want them to love God that much. They wanted them to love enough to be safe and comfortable, um, but still a Christian and go to heaven. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. Well, here's the last thing I'll say on this is what I think we can do, and then I'll go into some Q&A and we can talk about more than just this, but I, I do think this is important because we don't just talk about this and it just keeps getting this system. And I'm seeing Gen Z way more than millennials. They're just dropping out of college. Like I have never seen so many Gen Z. I was like, man, when I dropped out, of, I've successfully dropped out of college, by the way, three times now. Um, the last one's a full ride. And I'm like, I still can't do this. Like this is not preparing me at all. Um, I've just seen them like, I said, when I did it, I felt like a pioneer or like not pioneer. It was more like, I felt like people were really doubting me, but they're doing it. And it's like, they're, yeah, they're just, I don't know. They're just, it's shifting. And what we could do is try to help them figure out their passion and their purpose and then show them, hey, this is how uh, you're going to, this is all the hard work and this is what you're going to have to do. And this is what you're going to have to make financially in order to do that. Um, and where I've seen a lot of hunger in discipleship is if you could start tapping into their passion, tapping into their purpose, then you can help disciple them and say, hey, you want to do this? Let us connect you to other Christians in our church that do that. And I want you to follow them and get discipled by them. Uh, just so I do show something that's a little more practical in discipleship. It's just the heart. Again, a lot of this is going to be shown tomorrow is um, what I would recommend is if you let's say you got a lot of young Christians that want to do a certain thing um, and you're like, well, we have 
a lot of young people that have a passion for this. How many older generation, how many people in the older generation are doing something similar to that? And how can we connect those older leaders to the, to the same industry as that? Because I think we just think, let's connect older people to younger people. But if you connect older person doing what that younger person wants to do, then I've just found them to be a little bit more hungry because they're like, oh, that's what I want to do. Um, and why this matters in starting with passion and purpose, because most young people, I asked a lot of young people this, I was like, when I speak on this, I say, when was the last time, and maybe I'll ask y'all, when was the last time for your kids you shared a concern around provision? And what that would mean is like you asked, you were concerned with how much money they make or didn't make, or their job, or how much money they had in the bank, or anything around money. When I ask young people that, especially I'm like, if they're out of college or don't live in their house anymore with their family, they're like, that's one of the main reasons my parents call me, is about, there's just concern about my situation when it comes to provision. And I don't think that's bad to be concerned about that, but discipleship is caught more than it's taught. And so what it's teaching them is like, this is what's really important to my family. And I would just say, is that balanced well with questions around fanning into flame their, the purpose God gave into their life or the passion that God's given their life? And nine times out of 10, I've found that most, the older generation is not even involved in this conversation with young people. So they're just figuring this out with other young friends and it's not going well right now for them eventually you hit this point where you just, they just have to get a job that pays the bills and they can't even pursue that anymore. They kind of lost their window to do it. I also want to do it, acknowledge this is, um, some of you guys are like, yo, you just got to get a job and, <laughs> and make money. And uh, you know, when I first successfully, but probably the least successfully dropped out of college the very first time, my dad's an accountant and my dad's not a believer. So he doesn't like the Christian stuff as much. And he definitely doesn't want me to make no money to do the things he doesn't like. Um, it's like, and he's an accountant. Um, so it's like everything about it, it's like, no, heck no, that you should do this. So when I, I dropped out of college, because when I was 19, I started doing this nonprofit. It was going really well. And my dad's also South African, so he's just culturally very different. It's a unique thing. My dad's South African, my mom's Mexican. Um, so when I dropped out, my dad called me immediately. He's like, I just saw, I got an email that you... They cut all your classes? I'm like, yeah. Well, actually, no, he didn't see it then. I dropped out, and then um, I showed up to my parents' house, because like many millennials at the time, I want to. I gotta need a place to live, um, so I want to live back at their house, because um, it's free. And so I showed up. My mom was so cool with it. She's like, yeah, we'll help you get settled and figure out what's next. And my dad comes home from work, doesn't know I'm there, and he shows up. He grabs the bags that are in my old room. And he doesn't even say anything. He just grabs them and walks out. I'm like, what is he doing? And just throws them on the front yard. And I can tell what he's basically saying is I can't live here, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I said, and I was like, dad, what the heck? And he's like, you're not about to live. He's not laughing when he's saying it. Uh, he's like, you're not about to live back in this house. You decided to drop out of college. So you're deciding to get a job and to find a place to live. And I'm like, Dad, so many other parents let their kids do this. Like, so many people I know are living, even when they graduate college, they come and live with their parents still. Um, and he's like, you're not doing that. And it forced me to be like, I got to find a place to live and I need to get a job. And I didn't have the luxury to pick the passion or purpose job. But again, how many young people are going job hopping to job hopping? Because they're, it's like, this isn't the job I'm passionate about. And I think if they at least saw... This is what this architect or this lawyer, this nonprofit leader, this speaker, this author, whatever in our church has said, they didn't get to start right there. 
it took seasons and it took time. And all of a sudden they're like, I'm willing to go through that process because I'm getting mentored and discipled by leaders in that industry, in that world, um, that they're willing to do the hard work of the provision side because they see on the other side is the passion and purpose. Um, I also do want to speak to this lastly on do Q and A's. Um, one of the best things I think we actually can do is what my dad did. And it's very anti-American Christianity for the next generation is he did not let me, he forced me, he forced this dependence on God, basically. Um, if I got to live at that house, I think I would have been, I know I would have been way less serious about finding a job. I would know I would have been like, no, that's not the right job. I don't want to do that or that. I don't want to do that. Or I do a job and like two months later, probably quit it and be like, no, I, some of my friends have better jobs. I'm going to just quit and try to figure that out. And it would just, he would enable me probably if I did that. But a lot of parents would like swoop in and totally save their kids. Um, and what ends up happening is I think, just think about this for a second is think about your life and think about the seasons of your life that had the most dependence on God. Like the window, it could have been a month, it could have been a couple weeks, it could have been a season, a full year where you're like, this was a time when I just read the word. Like I just, I felt close to God. I was reading the word. I was like hungry for him in the season. And whatever that season is, it could have been last year, it could have been 10 years ago. Like think about some of those seasons where you're like, man, the dependency I had on God and the, the kind of like connection I had with him and the humility I had just because I was dependent on him, I could almost guarantee at least one of those seasons, if not most, were seasons where things were not in your control. It's like you had nothing but to depend on God. Like he was the only thing you had. Um, when we keep swooping in and helping save our kids from those seasons, what I would say we're actually doing is saving their kids from the Savior because it's in the valley of the shadow of death that they fear no evil because God is with them. And his staff and his, the rod is with them. And I think what we do is we save them from being in those valleys. Therefore, they don't have to depend on the Lord. They don't have to make those hard decisions. They don't have to kind of step up spiritually. And therefore, yeah, they're not that hungry to show up or all that because they just keep getting by. Does this resonate at all? I'm feeling like really quiet. So, um, Yes, real quick, I'll finish and then I'll do a Q&A or do your question first. So what can happen is instead of saying, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for God is with me, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. What can happen is they'll think, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for mom is with me and her person or second chances, they comfort me. And again, these are the two things that I feel like you're saving them from the Savior. Because what happened with, that, with my dad in that situation was, man, I remember I was just like, God, I need guidance so much. Like, I feel like I was doing the right thing, but I don't know what the next step is. And I just probably one of the strongest times in my life where I memorized scripture, probably one of the strongest times in my life where I just prayed regularly was this season. Um, and I'm not saying throwing our kids to the wolves. In no way. I'm just saying there's no being a lamb among wolves in the American Christian seems like it's like, no, we don't like that part or that's however we can make sure our kids don't experience that and still develop in Christ. And I don't know if you can do both of those. And so um, anyway, I'll, let's go to your question. Yeah, my question. Um, we're all sitting here. We're all Americans. We're all living the dream, whatever. How do we allow our children, our millennials 
to get desperate for the Lord. We understand yeah. that, man, when they're desperate, God hears us. God mm-hmm. reacts. How do I do that in a safe way? Yeah. I don't want my son, you know, on the street, homeless. I don't want my son, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, is, for sure. Is there, is there an environment that you've seen that can help us do that? What age is this? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think if... This is the unique thing of my situation. I want to acknowledge clearly, I'm not a parent. So I'm just saying among a lot of young people, what I do for a living, which none of y'all probably know, is I work for a guy, Gabe Lyons and Rebecca Lyons with a group called Q Ideas, which is based here. But behind the scenes, what I do a lot of is I do retreats for very high caliber young Christian leaders who are the very opposite of those who are leaving the faith. So if they're in their 20s and they're professional athletes, Olympic athletes, speakers, authors, musicians, online influencers, I have a network of about 700 of those kind of leaders that have like collectively about 250 million followers in the next generation. And I try to build community for them and mentor and disciple them. But I also, I connect them with older leaders that are in those same industries that can mentor and disciple them. The why I bring that up is because I get to see what's unique about what made those guys so different than everybody else. Because most research is why are young people leaving the church? Some research is why are they staying? I'm trying to pay attention to what makes them not just stay in church. What a low bar, in my opinion. What makes them a, a leader in the church and a, a cultural agent in, for Christ in the, in the culture? And so um, what I would say is for the young single who's like in their 20s, I really think it would be helpful if they do not know what they want to go to college for. I'm shocked that college is allowed to be an experience rather than a training ground. Um, I would not let my kid go to college until they know what they want to do. And I think some of the ways you figure out what that is, is actually getting out of the bubble that you know sometimes. And I really encourage anything that's like a gap year and just going out. I, I, if I would start really young going on mission trips, I think one of the best things young people can do is see that the world you think everyone cares about X, Y, and Z. I mean, the average young person that gets saved before 16, their story is, I played basketball, and then I thought I was going to be a professional athlete, and I was dating this girl. This is my story, actually. And the girl broke up with me, and I got kicked off the team, and then I, I, all, I found Jesus. So, so simple. But at the time, because in the, that world, their little bubble, that's so important. And for them to see in Haiti or in Thailand, like they could care less about what you think is important. But they got a whole different culture of what they do think is important. Um, I have noticed a trend of young people that were exposed to different cultures, even diversity, which is again important, even for that reason, really helps them. Um, and I've seen a lot of young people discover that on the mission field. I'm not saying that's the only way, but um, another one I would say that I've seen for parents towards young people that has really shifted their faith, especially I would say this, when I meet, I tried to pay attention to a lot of young people who grew up in the church with a faith family, uh, and even the parents were sometimes like leaders in the church, which we know can sometimes make it very hard for their faith to be strong, because um, they just see all everything. Um, but they stayed in the faith, and not only that, like, they never really veered off. I started asking those guys, what was it in your family that you felt like was really shifting your faith and helped your faith? And one thing kind of around this theme that stuck out is they said, kind of two things stuck out a lot. One, they said, my, our parents often ask for forgiveness. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting thing is that our parents often would admit when they were wrong, 
But moreover, they would ask us as kids or teenagers to forgive them for sometimes when they made a mistake. Not every time, but I think there was times when it was like, this is big. And they would say, to see my dad, one, I grew up with dad. My dad's, I don't know if I've ever seen him say he's done something wrong. There's something about the culture of parenting in that time, I guess. But to see him say I'm wrong, and then they would, he would say, will you forgive me? What that says to me, if discipleship is caught more than taught, then I would catch, seems like there's a bigger authority in my home than my parents, especially because the pastors are not seeing this. Um, the church culture is not seeing this. They're not just trying to do this for everyone else. There is a Holy Spirit like that my parents submit to, and they feel a conviction to ask for forgiveness um, and admit that they're wrong. Second, and really online with this, is I noticed a theme of a lot of the parents, they said something to the, to the line of, my parents would often inconvenience their lives for the gospel. That was very, that stuck out a ton, um, even more than the forgiveness part of like, they would do things that you could tell, they didn't like love doing and fully like want to do, like it cost them something. Uh, whether it's like having someone come live with them, going to serve regularly in some area that like no one else was trying to pay attention to, it was like just things like adopting. Uh, my boss, uh, I was telling him this actually yeah, two days ago, and Rebecca Lyons was saying, oh, in our teenager Kennedy's life, where that was, was when we adopted uh, a kid from China. Like just that we would do that at such an older age um, was really powerful for her to see because she could tell how hard and how costly it was. It took a lot of trips going there, but she could tell like, man, my, my parents like really just doing those types of things. So this like comfortable American Christianity, it does, yeah, it hurts the, think about this, like, do y'all know who Bob Goff is? Because if you ask young people, they do. It's like every young person wants that guy to be their, their grandpa. Um, I, I'd say, yeah, like, he's, and I think that book is a great book of like, someone who regularly inconveniences their life for the gospel. I tell a lot of parents, you should read that book. It has nothing to do with how to be a parent to the next generation. But man, you got to pay attention to, he's not edgy. Like he's not skinny jeans. Like he has no tattoos to my knowledge. Um, but all these young people want that guy to be their dad. Um, and I think it's because, and, and, and not to say, oh, you got to move to Africa or you got to do all this. Because I'm just saying, do you regularly inconvenience your life for the gospel to where they see that and are like, Man, I, I might not believe what they believe, but I can't lie to myself. They clearly believe that this is worth it in the end. And there's no way with the way God works that they're not going to see the beauty of like obedience. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, in, in keeping with that, saying that you're working with these people that are not only not leaving the church, but they are excelling and being leaders. You know, yeah. Are you seeing what makes them do that? Are you seeing some some character traits or some things that, that they're sharing with you that say, that say this is what? Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to look for someone to disciple, I just, y'all are like the discipleship people. Like, I've never had a conference where it's about, like, that's the title, discipleship. So I feel like y'all know this, but y'all heard, when I, when I look for someone young to disciple, I look for fat people. Um, if you guys have heard this concept, um, faithful, available, teachable people. I don't know what y'all were thinking. Um, but yeah, just people that are that, but I didn't come up with that. That's like some age old thing of faithful, available, teachable. I, I mean, highlight on that real quick. Faithful. This is what you kind of talked about. And it's pet peeve for me. Is your yes, yes, or your no, no. If I talk to young people, cause I call them out on this too. If I'm preaching to younger people, I'm like, dude, 
What if God kept his word like you keep your word? Like, what if he was going to come back for us? Probably. Or we, you know, he, he's waiting for if someone better comes along. So he's waiting last second to commit. Um, it's just like, I, it does bother me. But I also don't think every young person's ready to be discipled. And notice that when, I actually think most of them aren't. I, I want to reward the few that are hungry, or they are faithful, they are available, they are teachable, and make the ones that are kind of wanting to be there, but they're still chilling with the, the, this comfortable life of just like, let's just hang out in college, or I'm a young single, but a lot of my other friends that are outside of college and graduate, they don't have jobs, so they're just, they'll go into their early 30s, and it'll be a whole nother window of time of just kind of doing what the rest of the world is, looking to the left, looking to the right, doing what is right in their own eyes. And so, um, the common thing I will add, though, is the hunger. Um, so if they're faithful, they're available. What I mean by that is I think discipleship is not come and meet with me. I think it's more come and follow me. That's how I get around the whole, uh, if you're too busy, then I would say, great. That means you've got a lot of things that you can invite someone into. Um, and I'll talk about that tomorrow. I have a line where I say, mentorship is come and meet with me. Discipleship is come and follow me. And so would they make themselves available and instead of adding something to your calendar, would they include someone in your calendar? But you got to have a young person that will move their calendar or say, I'm not going to go to this with my young friends because I want to be with the guy who's inviting me to dinner with him and his family because that's powerful to just be at something like that. Um, and then teachable, there are some young people that just want you to agree with what they want to do. And will they hear the hard things? Like, Peter, man, think about how hard it would be to hear the person discipling you for three years say, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's not thin skin. But also, he had a lot of relationship. Um, and for him to come back um, or just hear the hard stuff and be like, okay, I trust him because he's always been right or he's always had my best interest in mind. Um, but then lastly, I would say hungry. For me, I actually have a meeting with the young people I'm discipling in the front end because I think dating and discipleship is kind of similar in its initial stages. I know that sounds kind of funny, but I, I really believe that. Like if you, if you ever ask someone younger to disciple, I think for a young person to ask someone older to disciple them, it kind of feels like when you're asking a girl out. Um, you're like, hey, I like you <laughs> and I want to do more life with you. Will, do you like me? And will you let me be in your life more? It's, and to ask another guy, that's hard. And when they say no, like, oh, man, I, it's not you. It's me. Um, I'm so busy. Um, man, I, 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 you know we're friends. Like, oh, you're friend zoning discipleship version like me. Like, it, it kind of, and honestly, what can happen is I had the first guy... I got discipled two weeks after I got saved. I was very lucky. I thought that was a normal thing that everyone just did that. I was just very lucky to have a guy seek me out. He moved two years later and I asked, um, I was like, I got to find someone else to do this. This is like such a powerful season of my life. And if I want to grow, I need to find this again. So I asked a guy, he said, no, I'm too busy. I was like, man, I thought we, I really did. I felt like we had this connection. And then um, the second guy, I really did. I was hurt. Like, like you would be if you got rejected by a girl. Um, and then the second guy, same thing. I'm too busy with ministry, which by the way, I'm like, if you're not discipling anyone, but you're too busy with ministry, what the heck are you doing? Like, um, I just thought even that concept that I'm so busy with, I would say spiritual activity to do the ministry that Jesus gave us discipleship. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. So I just felt hurt. And I, you, what can happen if you guys ever see guys do this 
ask a couple girls out, they say no, they're like, at first it feels like, what's wrong with me? Then they get a little prideful, like, you know what? And this is what I did. Forget all these guys. I don't want to be discipled. I'm good anyway. And like, I went a while of, yeah, just kind of maybe, so I'm just going to get in the word. And so what I would say is, um, yeah, I look for hunger because in dating, when you go on the first date, you kind of, especially when it gets serious to the next level, you're like, what, what's the expectations? And I do that conversation with the young person. I was like, hey, before we fully commit to this, I want to talk about some pet peeves and I want you to talk about what you want out of this. Um, and I actually make them make a three month goal, six month goal, nine month goal, one year goal. So I know like, where do you want to be and how can I make sure you're actually getting to where you want to be? I want to acknowledge that my discipleship format is a lot more like, I do focus on industry and what do you want to go do and how do I get you, how do I make you a fisher of men in that industry? Because that's where I see the most hunger. Um, some young people will be like, I just want to be discipled by you because you're a really godly person. I just, I found a lot of young people that are like, I'm trying to, I want to do something with my life. So how do I connect them to someone who's doing that with their life, but show them also you could be doing that for the gospel in a better way. Um, does that help at all? Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. I want you to expand on what you just did because you started out saying the church is missing. Um, young people who are not knowing what to do in life, and there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you just talked a little bit about that, but how could the church step into that role? What do you see as the way to do it? Can you repeat that, Grant? Yeah, yeah. So she asked, um, there's this missing opportunity of how where the church can, young people are trying to figure out what they want to do with their life um, or how to get to where they want to do with their life, and how can the church step in? Um, I mean, one of the, yeah. If it was, if I was a pastor of, a, and I looked at the young adults in my church, I would try to figure out, yeah, what is it that they seem to have a, a passion for? And not all of them, but like this one sticks out. Uh, like I was actually talking to Life Church in Oklahoma, and they're talking about building a young adult ministry. And I said, yeah, is there an occupation that a lot of the young people, for whatever reason, they got a bent here in Nashville? There's a lot of young people that want to go into medical. Uh, the, every city. Has, I mean, D.C. would be definitely probably more like politics. So to not connect young people, often when we convene people in the church, we convene them by their gender, like male or females, like women's retreat, men's retreats, or we convene them by stage of life. It's like children's ministry, youth ministry, young marrieds, or just married ministry, um, which is great and good, but we don't, what I think about is like, I didn't pick to be a male, and I do need to be around other men, um, but that was just given to me, I guess, if you will. Same thing for stage of life, like, I am married, I do want to be with some other married people, but the thing that I've really, like, had to pray through, work through, like, talk to my parents about, even sometimes go against what my parents think, because I feel like God's calling me to, go to college for, do a lot of homework, is my career, like, one-third of my life will be in my job, and I would say many churches aren't doing as much convening or equipping for the channel of the world that God's called them to be. And Acts 17, 26 says like God's placed us at this time in these places. Even Luke 10 says they, when he sent out the 72, he sent them to every town and every place. I like to think like, can we think of places as like, there's the church world, yes, but and some of them will go into ministry, but some of them are going to go into education. Some will go into marketplace. Some will go 
into politics and some will go into the nonprofit sector and start convening them around that because that's going to be a little bit of a natural connection. Also, lastly, I would do retreats. I'm a big retreat guy is uh, if you ever seen Remember the Titans, uh, when there's a lot of generational tension uh, in that movie, there's a lot of racial tension is uh, he gets the people that are different to go on a retreat together. I know that might sound, I would have just invite, hey, you're an old person, come on. And you're a young person, come on. Like uh, when I meet with a lot of churches, I say, hey, can we connect me with five to 10, maybe 15 of the most consistent young people in this church? And one thing, I ask a lot of questions, but one of them is, I, like, you should know your young people's asking them like, who are some of the older people in our church that just seem to love you guys. Like they have a heart for the next generation. They enjoy the next generation. They encourage y'all. Cause there is a culture of like making fun of the next generation or com just complaining about them. But like, who are the older people in your church that for whatever reason, they're like, no, I'm hopeful. Like, I love these guys. Like I remember it was uh, first, the pastor's here, first pastor McKinney. It was before he was uh, the senior pastor there. But I remember the girls, one of the girls like, oh, Susie like always comes and brings this cookie every Sunday, brings us cookies. And I was like, <laughs> That's the most random thing, but they liked her just because she did that. And she thought weekly, I want to bring the young guys cookies. And so I said, you should bring those 10 to 15 older people and then the key young people, and you should get them together on a retreat because they already have a bent towards each other. These guys are faithful young people that are still sticking around, even though they don't see a lot of other young people there. And these are some of the older generation that genu genuinely has a heart for young people and just organically builds some community around them so that once you want to build better discipleship relationships, they already have like a core that's kind of close. Because I just say this is like church doesn't have a lot of areas for deep connection among people in general. Like just looking at the back of someone's head every Sunday, I've never really met a best friend. Like how many of you guys ever met your best friend through that like little one minute you guys give us to like, hey, shake hands with a neighbor? Like I'm like, why do we still do like what what is the purpose of doing this uh, i guess it like gets us to is it like a break just to like okay like just move around a little bit and stretch um if it's that then it works but if it's like to meet someone it's just church sunday isn't designed too well for community and that's okay that just might not be the main design but i thought what does get community in the church retreats mission trips and if you have these sports leagues Maybe potlucks, I'm down to bring those back. Um, those things connect people. And I would really think about, are you diversifying generationally the people that go to those things? Because if you don't have those things going on, then all they're doing is coming and listening to some guy or girl talk every week. And I'm not coming, I'm about to go watch a movie. I don't think I'm gonna meet any best friends at this movie tonight. Like, we're just gonna watch something together. That's not that communal. Um, and anyway, think about that because this generation is looking for a cause, and I would say they're looking for a community. And ironically, I think the church is the, supposed to be one of the best places for both of those. Um, but if they don't find the community in the church, they will find it in the world, because the world's working really hard to create community for them. Yes, ma'am. And this will be the last question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they all need something. They need to be heard, and they need to know that they are safe. Yeah. So, what do you do in those kinds of situations? Yeah. Yeah. So she asked. Uh, there are a lot that are uh, young people are struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, 
and sometimes they aren't hungry, what do we do with those who aren't hungry? Would that be good to say? Um, I want to point out that uh, in that movie, Dead Poet Society, I'm going to spoil this movie for y'all. You had like 40 at least years to watch this movie. Um, and you probably, yeah, you probably heard about it at this point. Um, at the end of that movie, the kid who has to go around his dad's back, because his dad is pursuing provision, he's pursuing passion and purpose. He goes around his dad's back, his dad finds out, and his dad like cuts him out of school, say, you're going to like some military school. Um, again, his dad's not a bad guy. In the movie, he's technically the bad guy, but his dad just really wants a better life for him than he got as a kid. But he's so set on provision, he's not even like, he doesn't even see purpose and passion. What I've learned is it sounds like passion and purpose is an idea of what you do after you retire. You earn the ability to do that. That may be the best way to do it. I do think a lot of that has proven not to be the way that works because most of them just just check out of provision. Like how many people just go pursue passion and purpose after? That young people want to do all three. I think God has not called us to gain the whole world and then sacrifice our soul so that one day we can pursue our soul. I think we can do both. Um, and so I say that to say um, in that movie, unfortunately, he does commit suicide um, when he realizes I'm either going to just go and do, keep doing what my parents really, really want me to do. I know they love me, but I cannot trust them because they're not seeing the full heart of what God, I would say, what God's given a young person. Um, if they aren't hungry, the best thing I can say is it's hard. I'm not trying to start a fire as more, much as I'm trying to pour gasoline on a fire. And I do see that a lot with Jesus. And what I think Jesus did do is when I'm trying to really help the ones that have the fire and then start recruiting those that like you see the potential. So I'm assuming you got some people in mind. You're like, man, if they could just get this, though, that would be incredible. And uh, I would say what I would do is use there's a four letter word that young people are really driven by. It's called FOMO. Um, have you guys heard of this fear of missing out? Think about this, that you're like, oh, they're not hungry or they won't commit, right? There's two big fears. Fear of commitment, they got that big time. Like they say they're going to be somewhere and they don't, and or they just wait. If you ever see a Facebook event, you see it's like 300 yes, no, sorry, it'd be like 20 yeses, 300 babies, and like 20 no's. And if you're planning an event, you're like, how do I know how much food to get when 300 people may show up, but we don't know? Um, so that's complicated. What I try to do is I'm like, I'm going to go with the ones that are hungry and the people that are like, maybe that really will lean here. I want to, if they have a fear of commitment, how do I use the fear of missing out to, because I think the fear of missing out is stronger than the fear of commitment. And if I can show them, hey, these young guys that are really hungry and these young girls are really hungry, they're getting better jobs. They're finding community. They're just maturing. You can just tell there's a difference. They seem to have more clarity and direction in their life. Uh, they're getting leadership responsibilities now. Like they're getting a lot of these benefits from submitting to the process, which requires work. It requires provision, if you will. Um, that I've noticed, if you know the law of innovation, if you don't, I would really look that up because that's what I'm trying to use is I'm finding the early adopters and the innovators and trying to win over the early majority, which is but I, I don't know if there's one plan that can reach every person in every stage of life. Um, I just have seen this start to win those who are maybes to, okay, I want to submit to that. Because when I see where they're ending up, who are like just chilling, and I see these guys that are working hard, I want to go over there. Anyway, thank you guys. Uh, I'll stick around if you guys want to ask any questions.
that was fantastic stuff from Grant Skeldon, Exponential at last year's forum. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I want to highlight something that he said. He said, how is the most cause-oriented generation in this world right now not connecting to the most cause-oriented organization in the world? Man, that like blew my mind. And uh, I think episodes and conversations like this on how to get on the level of the next generation are just so important to making disciples. So I hope that you walked away with something new that you learned and are encouraged in your walk and in your journey of discipling others. All right, y'all, thank you so much for listening. And I guess I'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.